So welcome, welcome to the podcast Diaries of the Wild Ones. I'm Aaron Shanks and I am completely addicted to adventure and the life experiences that those adventures bring. 12 years of traveling and I've never written a diary, which is something I've always wanted to do. I'm always meeting such amazing people with such crazy travel stories and I myself have gone into so many crazy situations. So this idea came about because I wanted a travel diary. I wanted to remember in detail the adventures that I go on and the people that I meet along the way. And I just thought, what an amazing way to travel. What an amazing way to learn about the people I meet and share these experiences with. So this idea just started gathering momentum and interest. So I decided instead of just keeping it for myself, I would put it online so that the people who are interested in hearing stories about getting out of your comfort zone, about people like myself who are addicted to adventure and new experiences, and just for people who like to hear stories told. I love story time, and other people's adventure stories is what drives my own adventures. So I'm doing this podcast completely for myself, telling stories from the past that I want to remember or having in-depth conversations with people I want to learn more about and hear about their adventures. And I'm just having so much fun doing it. But it is, it is such a vulnerable thing to do, to tell the world your stories and to leave yourself so open to judgment. But then I just remind myself, I'm not doing it for anyone but myself. People listening to this is just an added bonus, especially if it inspires them to get out of their comfort zone to where true adventure lies. So these first recordings I did in the studio, it was just so weird how once you press that record button of how nervous you get. But the more episodes I do, the more comfortable and more natural it becomes. So I decided to start it off with one of my first recordings that I did with a childhood friend of mine, Matt Brown, who is from the podcast Matt Brown Presents. And we did this recording in a studio and Matt got me down there just to, um, just to help me out and he wanted to hear, he wanted to hear about when I was in India and I had a run in with the mafia. So now it's for you guys to hear, so enjoy. The most appropriate way to start Diaries of the Wild Ones is to tell one of my own stories. So I've asked you, Matt, to come down here and tell you actually this story that's one of the probably the most it is the most traumatic experience of my life. This is the India story, right? Yeah, this is I've where I was in India. From you ever allowing to tell me it? Well, I don't like telling people this story for two reasons. One, it brings up a lot of emotion. Yeah. And two, it it just takes a long time to tell because the 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 story itself well, it deserves to be told properly. So it takes it takes about forty minutes to tell the story. So yeah. I've got you down here today just to tell you this story. Well, it might not take that long. I don't know, but. We'll see. Yeah, I'm going to start it. So in 2009, I was traveling. I was actually living in Indonesia. I was living in Bali in 2009. When in 2009? Because I remember we traveled in we, early 2009. Yeah, so this is like after that trip. So this was the end of a year and a half backpacking trip. And I finished it with living in Indonesia. My, it was a bit longer than a year and a half. But yeah, I finished it living in Indonesia for about four months. And I was in Bali. But at the time, I was running out of money. Yeah. I was running out of money and friends of mine from Australia, my mate Tim, who's originally South African, living in Australia, he met a girl at the time and fell head over heels and fell in love and married her and her name was was Nisha and she was half Nepalese, half Australian or half Indian, that from the north anyway. Yeah. Now, I didn't know at the time, but she was pretty much like a Indian princess. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I tell you. So, anyway, they're... 
Tim was a teacher and he took a job up in the Himalayas at like the pretty much the most prestigious school. It was in a town called Missouri, right up in the um, north of India in the Himalayas. And he took a job up there as a teacher. So they had a house and they were living up in the Himalayas. And, and I was in Indonesia and he said, you know, while we're up here, why don't you come over? Why don't you do a bit of a trip? So at the time, I didn't have much money, but I thought, you know, this is a great, great opportunity. Yeah, so I was, I was with my ex-girlfriend, Kelly, at the time, and we decided to book tickets. Yeah. So we've, <laughs> we've booked these tickets to um, India about probably a month, a month before we left. So we're in Bali and we're sitting down, we're sitting down at dinner, actually, one night with a couple of friends. And I said, yeah, yeah, we're going to India. And I remember this girl um, said to me, oh, have you got your visa? I was like, no, no, I'll just get it at the airport, <laughs> which is um, actually a mistake a lot of people make going to India. Yeah. So you actually need to pre-apply for a visa to enter India for for tourism or for anything really. So well, there's a lot of countries like that. Even America, I think, is is like yeah, that now America's as well. like that. But I didn't know how full on it was, so I've suddenly freaked out. And we've had to um, we've looked into it. And we're two weeks before we we go to India. Yeah. So I was I. Uh, yeah, so we looked up what we could do, and the only thing we could do was fly to Kuala Lumpur, where there was an Indian embassy, yep. and pray that we could, because it takes two weeks to process it. So we're like, oh my God, we really need this visa. So we jumped on the first flight to Kuala Lumpur the next day out of Bali, and we're flown to, um, to Kuala Lumpur and went and stayed in uh, Chinatown there. And the first thing we did was just go straight to the embassy, get all the photos, put the application in. They said it was going to be about two weeks, and we're sitting there just praying like yeah, please yeah. please push this along so meanwhile we're stuck in Kuala Lumpur in Chinatown for about two weeks and I actually stayed there the whole two weeks just waiting yeah the thing is we didn't have any money I was running out of money we'd been traveling for over a year and a half mm. and I just booked to go to India for six weeks and we had traveled Malaysia before I'd done Kuala Lumpur before I'd done the Batu Caves and Petronas Towers and I'd been to Chinatown done all the things and it was just we're sitting there, we, we were looking for things to do, but it was just we'd done everything, so it was um, and we just didn't have much money, so we're sitting there and we just started researching things to do in India. But yeah. at the time, this is in 2009, mid 2009, at the time, there was an explosion of rape cases in India of white women being pretty much kidnapped. I don't know if you, you've seen the movie Taken, yeah, pretty much the movie Taken is pretty much how I'm trying to describe this is that basically at the time, there was an explosion of white tourists being kidnapped and raped and drugged up and sold to the Saudis. Was it just white or would it be basically it, anyone they can no, get their was, hands on? It was just anyone because at the time, at the time, but the white girls, and it probably still is, there's probably still a massive trade for what it. What do you think it, it was just one of those situations where that, that it just the media was just picking up on so much more because it was more Western people getting Yeah, kidnapped. I reckon. Well, I think the thing is there's more money around the Western women, those rich Saudis. I'm sorry to stereotype the Saudis, but the or the rich people that do buy sex slaves, you know, the white girls were fetching a higher price at the time. So at the time, I just remember in the news, I think, I'm pretty sure it was a Holland diplomat lady who had just been raped by six men, and, and that was in the headlines that week. I'm pretty sure that was a story. But anyway, what it did, it just made us really cautious, made us really nervous. Because this was just all over the news again. I was like, that news thing, we're trying to think, you know, like, don't, you know, that's, you always hear stuff in the news. It won't happen to us. Just and this chill, is before you, know? you went? This is before we went. But anyway, we started getting nervous because Kelly at the time is like a tall, long blonde hair, blue eyes, pretty yeah. girl. And so, so we thought, you know, best that we, when we do go to India, she'll cover up as best as she can. So we got a scarf and everything that she could wear around her head. And I was in the markets one day and I was walking along and I saw this. Well, hang on, so you, you got your visa? 
Not yet. So this is the two weeks that we're waiting for the visa. Oh, in Kuala Lumpur. So while we're in Kuala Lumpur, yep. we're just, you know, walking around. We bought a scarf, we're trying to get things to get. I, I was walking around. I saw this weapon store. I don't know if you know where you can buy the tasers and everything. All the yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I saw this telescope baton. You know, one that was like a bar that you flick out and it and extends and has a ball in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought, oh, that'd be, kind of be perfect as like a little bit of a, you know, just a bit of a safe keep. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I wonder if I can get it through customs. I was like, oh, I'll just put it in my bag and see how I go. So we've decided to, to just take these extra precautions because it was just all over the news and it was making us really nervous. So the day before we're as supposed to fly does, out. As the news does, makes you nervous. As the news does. So the day before we're supposed to fly out, I go to the embassy and our visa isn't done. Mm. It's being pro- it's in the back room We're out there just begging Going please Because I didn't have the money I really wanted to go to India I didn't have the money To change anything To change my flight Nothing So they ended up Giving us a bit of a hand And, and getting the process done And we got it that afternoon We got it just before The embassy closed So like literally In the last 15 minutes Before it closed We sat there all, all afternoon And they got it for us So anyway So Tim and Nisha They're up in Missouri Up in the Himalayas They've organised for us To fly into Old Delhi and they've got a friend, one of Nisha's mum imports Kashmiri rugs and, and stuff from India and she does the markets down in Australia. Yeah. So they've organised, they've got a um, contact in Old Delhi. Uh, his name was Sarjit and he was a Kashmiri silk dealer. Yeah. And so they've organised with us to meet up with him, stay with him for the night and he was going to put us on the train the next day to go up to Missouri. And we're like, well, this sounds like a simple plan, you know, just go meet this guy, stay the night at his place and, and go then up to Missouri. So, yeah, so it seems simple. What we didn't realize, but that at the time, it was Ramadan in India. Now, you think India is mainly Hindu, but there's so the population in India is so massive that there's Christians, Muslims, there's everything there, and there's, there's so many of everything. So it's extremely diverse. Extremely diverse. Now, Sajid himself was Muslim because he was from Kashmir. Now, we've organized, he's given us, so we've got contact with him on Facebook, and He's given us a few, a few directions. So pretty much what he said, he said, once you get to the airport, just get in a, in a taxi and just get to the Turkmen gates, which is the, these old gates in Old Delhi, which is actually the gates that opens up to this Muslim area. It's this old, I think it was like these old military gates from memory. He said, just stand out in front of the gates and I'll come find you. But, but with how our flight worked out and everything, we weren't going to arrive until about midnight. So I just remember... The first hit, as soon as we've landed in Old Delhi, or as soon as we've landed in Delhi Airport, it was about 10 o'clock at night, we've come out, and you just hit. You hit with this biggest, the biggest culture shock. Out of all these countries that I've traveled to, India, just it's just in-your-face culture. It's amazing. It's, abs- it's just so diverse and in-your-face. They don't try and hide anything. It's just out there. It's just in-your-face. So it's like quite, it's quite overwhelming straight up. You know, it's this, as soon as we come out and try and get a taxi, there's people everywhere. They're pushing in. There's cows walking through the airport. Like, yeah. there's, just, there's just stuff everywhere. And, and anyway, so we get in this taxi and we've organized to go to the Turkmen Gate. So he, he started taking off and everything. And... We look, I just remember looking out the window. It was late at night. There's just people everywhere. There's just, there's, the place is alive. And we've gone to Old Delhi now. I need to, really need to iterate. At the end of this trip, we went to New Delhi. Now, there is a massive difference between New Delhi and Old Delhi. Yeah. It's like New Delhi is like, has better infrastructure, better buildings. It's more upper class. Old Delhi, well, it's Old Delhi. Yeah. So we go to the Turkmen Gates and I get out. We get out and there is just people everywhere. By this stage, it's about... 11 30 about or close to midnight 
and you're meant to meet and we're meant to meet Sajid at midnight at the front of the Turkmen gates now I didn't realise what we didn't realise it was Ramadan so two white people have just rocked up to the Muslim area of Old Delhi in the middle of Ramadan and straight away we just had crowds of people around us pulling at us just like it was so overwhelming suddenly we just as soon as we got out of the taxi people just saw these white people and just surrounded us now it wasn't a you know like when you're traveling people get intrigued by the white person and i have long blonde hair at the time they get intrigued and want to take photos with you or like want to meet you this was the opposite they weren't happy for our presence they were some were intrigued, but it was more like, what are you doing here? And, and straight away, these four policemen came over and, and grabbed us. And like, are, you, are you guys okay? And we said, yeah, we're supposed to meet our friend here. And they said, you... Was there the a vo- language barrier um, at that point? In this area, yes, definitely. Yeah. But so, the, the police, the thing is in India, their first language, even though they speak Hindu, there's different dialects all around, different languages, but majority speak English or a lot, a lot speak English. So these policemen could speak English and they said, are you guys okay? What are you doing here kind of thing? We said, we're we're supposed to meet our friend. They said, well, stand here and don't move. And they literally surrounded us with their backs to us. We stood in a circle of policemen around us, these four policemen. So straight up, you can imagine we're rocked up. It's midnight. This has all happened. How overwhelming it is. People grabbing at us, people staring at us. The were, police... they, were people saying anything to you? Like, was it all in another language? It was all in another language. We had no idea what was going on. I had yeah. no freaking idea. All it was, I was freaking shit scared. <laughs> I was so scared because I was like, nothing like this had ever happened to me. I'd been, been traveling all around the world. And yeah, we'd, we'd had some hairy situations, but nothing... Nothing where we felt so out of our comfort zone. Where po- police, it was about at midnight, there's people everywhere. It was just crowded and the police have surrounded us and said, you're in the wrong place. We need to protect you kind of thing. And they've just stood around. So we're sitting there and next thing, probably about 15, 20 minutes, but it was a long, scary 15, 20 minutes. This guy's come over and like, Sergeant, like, Sergeant's come over and he's like greeted, giving us a hug and like, sorry, I'm late, blah, blah. But, you know, come with me, come back to my place. Did he explain anything what was happening? He, he said it, you've arrived in the middle of Ramadan. So people around the street, I think people are always out on the street there anyway, because people are sleeping in the street. There's, but he, he said, um, you know, like people, they're out and about. He just explained us Ramadan, we need to get in, we need to get to my place. So he just said. But what was the... What was the sort of issue with being in that area? I think we were just so foreign. And I think that the Muslims in that area, I think at the time they're quite extreme. Yeah. They're they're quite extreme Muslim, like very, very into their face. So, yeah, we really stood out. We really stood out. We were really doing stuff that they... Yeah, it must be hard to understand. It's really hard to understand. It's like, so basically everyone's wearing their, all the women... All the women are wearing the burqas where only the eyes can see. Now, yep. Kelly's with me, but she's covered up with a sarong around her head, that- but not as much as what the other women are, you yep. know? They're wearing gloves and stuff, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, not pa- any, no part of their skin is showing in this area. So, it may have been just as so much of a shock to them as it was to you. Well, it, oh, yeah, exactly. It was just quite scary. It's how they present themselves. It's like they just stare at you and they st- Indians stare at you with this deep, especially in the north, not so much in the south, but they stare through you with this deep deep stare that like it like cuts through i don't really know how to explain it until you until you see it yeah but anyway sergeant comes over and he said i said to the policeman it's okay they're with me i'll I'll look after him yeah my place is only a few blocks away let's go so i just remember he grabs us. he said don't let go of me so i've i've grabbed him and i've grabbed kel's hand and we've got our bags on and everything and we start walking through these crowded streets and now i'm in crowded streets we've got to push our way through now the whole time we're walking people are grabbing at us there was guys spitting at us i just remember that was, this was the most 
Oh, I just remember being so scared because people weren't welcome. We weren't welcome in that area. They were grabbing and spitting at us. Some people were like were intrigued and everyone was just like screaming. We ended up with this crowd following us. There would have been a crowd of 60 to 80, maybe even 100 people following us. Now, we end up getting about four blocks away through these crowded streets and we turned down this alleyway. Now, Sergeant lived about four stories up in these, they're kind of slummy buildings, but it was definitely, I wouldn't say it's middle class, I'd say it was more lower class, but it wasn't slum, it was close to, when, you, when you're when you up looking out over the balcony, yeah. or like, it wasn't a balcony, but you could go up on the roof of these buildings and look out over, you kind of saw slummy areas and really, it was really... It was a mix. It was definitely a mix. Yeah. It, was, it was definitely not a wealthy area, it was definitely a very lower class area. Now, we've turned down this alleyway to get to his kind of apartment building, and, and there's people still following him. Yeah. And by this stage, he's got his neighbors down the bottom of the apartment building. Now, he asks his neighbors to stop everyone from coming in. And he's gotten us through the doors. And people, he, the neighbors have created a barrier to go through these doors to push people off because everyone was trying to get into the apartment to get to see us, to get to these white people. Now, it wasn't a so much a physical aggression. I don't really know what it was because they were grabbing at us, they were touching us, they were spitting at us. Like, there was no, there was no filter. I don't know if they thought that they were overtreading the line of personal space. I don't know if that was a culture difference, but, well, like, I was, my shirt nearly, like, was... My shirt was pretty ragged by the yeah. end of it. And like Kel was just, she was just, we were just trying to get there. Yeah. So we've come through these doors. He's got his neighbors trying to stop people from coming in. They've shut the door behind us. They've locked us out. He's come up, locked the doors. And he said, you guys just sit here. I need to try and get rid of this crowd. <laughs> so was he scared? He didn't seem it yeah. at the time. Now, the thing is, right. Just another day in which Old Delhi. <laughs> I ended up learning um, the next couple of days was because Sarge was from Kashmir. Now, white people in this area are seen very lower class. They look look down on you. Now, they look down on him too because he was a foreigner. He was from Kashmir, not from Old Delhi. Yeah. So, they didn't treat him with much respect either. So, him and his neighbors have gone down and tried to shoo away the crowd. And he's come, about 10 minutes later, he's come up and he's explained to us. He said, yeah, they just, they never see white people here. You know, everyone's so intrigued to see these white people and they just want to know what's happening and what you're doing and how come you're here. And they want to know about him. How does he know white people and why are they on this, you know? Yeah. So I, I kind of got it, but it was just, it was just such an overwhelming experience. So the, the spitting thing is, um, is interesting. You said that people were spitting at you. People were spitting at us. And I, I had a similar experience in Egypt, not towards me, but uh we were walking we were walking through one of the egyptian bazaars and uh which are incredible in egypt they just have these bazaars for days and the amount of things you can find and buy oh, there is massive. great they're massive but um there was these american girls uh not with our group but they were just ahead of us and uh, there was no cover up nothing both blonde hair very similar looking to kelly um cuz kelly was you know this big tall blonde yeah and um and the the women would walk up and spit at them yeah and, and i'm not sure what they were saying but you know it's definitely not hey how you going it's yeah <laughs> yeah it's definitely well, negative and then it was explained to me it was like these women aren't taking you know sort of any direction towards our culture they're, they're they haven't taken you know they're, they're sort of offending us by not yeah you know, covering up exactly now i understand that that doesn't you know in the western world in america and australia we don't do that but you know, you think when you go to a country that does have those sort of traditions that you sort of respect them. Yeah, you got to play that game, yeah. And exactly. I sort of, that justified it for me. Well, it was a big realisation to us how important what 
it was to cover her up. And even for me, I think um, I think I started wearing pants after that. I think yeah, I was well, wearing even your shorts blonde hair might have shocked. Men. That was it. Did I had long blonde hair? <laughs> like, because yeah. I don't want I don't I wouldn't want anyone listening this to to take that that experience right there you just told me is like a negative no the thing mm. is is that everyone and this is what i found we had such a negative experience on my first trip to india yeah and but everyone so many everyone has a different experience so i don't oh, want anyone course. to take this it's just this is just my experience just and happened, these version of events that it just happened. happened to happen to you yeah and i always say to people like maybe do book a tour or do do india the tourist way don't do india how Oh, of I course. was doing it. <laughs> There's just, definitely countries where you're going to have to have a guide. Yeah, or just, or even just stay in backpackers or hotels. It's mm. just, I don't know. I had such an authentic experience both times I've been to India, but it's just, I definitely, I definitely didn't know what I was in for. So you got into this guy's apartment. He's him and his neighbors are, are pushing down. back the crowds. So yeah, so then he's come upstairs and we've then we've met him officially. Yeah. We got to sit down and he said, hey, I hope you guys don't mind. I have a very dear friend of mine coming around because she's never seen white people before. She's only seen him on TV and, and um, I know it's late, but if you don't mind, she's going to come around. And we said, yeah, no, th- this is no, no worries, you know. And um, so basically the plan was we're staying at Sarge's place for the night. The next day or the next afternoon, there was a train that was going from, um, from Old Delhi um, Railway Station up to Oh, I can't say this word. I was looking up before. Up to? Dehradun. That was, was I translate. Up to Dehradun, which um, was about, I think, about three hours um, at the bottom of the hill, Himalayas from Missouri. So, basically, you go to Dehradun, and then from there, we got a car. You needed to get a car up to, the, um, up to Missouri. So, basically, we had organized, go to Sarge's place, stay the night. The next day, he was going to put us on a train. Um, from there, we'll get the train up to Derridan. There was going to be a driver waiting for us to take us up to Tim and Nisha's place up in, up in Missouri. So simple. This, to us, it was just so simple on paper. So basically, we're happy. We knew the train was the next afternoon and we were in this new place and we just met Sarges. So we're happy to stay up and just talk. And we weren't that tired. We were just so, there's so much kind of adrenaline or there's just so much intrigue mm. going through us that we're so awakened. And so um, this lady's come around with the full burqa, only the eyes showing. And. She's walked in and she was just such a lovely soul. She was such a lovely soul. And she um she came in and she just wanted to look at us. Yeah. And there was, she couldn't speak any English, but um, Sarjit would translate. And basically all she wanted to do was put her burqa on Kelly. Now, but at this stage, we're sitting in in his apartment with this, with two of his neighbors and this, this lady. So they've come in, they've, they've all met, met us and they want to know where we're from and what we do and how we're traveling. Like, you know, they're just so intrigued. Now she's convinced us to put, we, we didn't want to do it. We didn't want, we thought we might be breaking a barrier or something. So she's, so we've ended up agreeing, okay, Kel, put her, put her burqa on. And she's taken her burqa on, off. But underneath, she just has another burqa. <laughs> this is what I was like. I was losing. She's taking her burqa off. And it, but anyway, she's put it on Kelly. And I've got photos of Kelly with only her eyes showing. Yeah. And all the men, the three men that were sitting in the room, like, whoa, she's so beautiful. Now, this to me, I didn't find anything silly about this or anything. I just, mm-hmm. I just remember thinking, well, this is just such a different culture. You know, like this is so out there. Like I'm looking at Kelly and... The more clothes she takes off, the more pretty she is to me. (laughs) With these men, it was the opposite. Now, they're only there for about half an hour because it was getting late. So, um, she said, you know, she was going to go and we put the, she took a burqa back in, um, and... I've reached over to touch her on the shoulder to say, I thank you so much for like this experience. I've gone to touch her and my 
Sergeant has literally leaped forward and grabbed my hand. He has literally stopped me from touching her about about 20 centimeters from her shoulder or even yeah. closer. And I'm just, some, this freaks me out because suddenly this guy's jumped at me when I, and he goes, oh, he's like, you can't touch her. And I was like, why don't she go, she, she's, she's owned, she's married, she's owned by a man, which means you can't touch her. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. It, it was just, it, she nearly freaked out, everyone kind of freaked out. And, I, yeah. and this was just such a, it was just, we just got hit so much with this culture this first night. It'd be hard to understand that. Yeah. Especially not having that in Australia. Yeah. So anyway, they, they've, the friends have left and we've stayed up with Sarge and we ended up staying up till about 4am in the morning just talking. And... We're just talking about the culture in India and how everything, it was different to... He was basically just giving us, you know, 101 to Indian culture, you know, what to expect and how, because that first night was just so overwhelming, especially arriving in those circumstances in the middle of Ramadan. Yeah. But we started talking about, I said to him, like, in the, in the news right now about the, the women being raped and everything about the sex, the sex trade... Um, and he kind of just explained the whole thing to me. At the time, it was massive in India too. It was they were just as scared as what we were, and he started explaining to me. So we, it was just so weird how these how these version of events went that we sat there, and he started talking to me about the mafia in India and how they drive these big white four-wheel drives and how they can stand out. And he said these big white Land Cruisers with no number plates and they're well-dressed men um, with slick back hair, and you can tell they look like they have a bit of money to them. They're always in a, in a group. And he said, they're the ones that you've got to watch out for because he said, they're the ones that run the sex trade. And they, he was just, I just remember him telling me that basically they will steal the women and they drug them up and they sell them to the Saudis. Now they do it with Indian girls. They do it with slum girls. They do it with, um, with foreigners traveling through there. And he said, and he said at the time, it was like, yeah, you just had to be really careful. And he, he kind of, but he reassured us. He said, you know, you guys are fine and everything. You know, you just, he said, you can see him coming a mile away. You see the big white forward drives and, um, and everything. It was just so weird that we had this conversation leading up to these events. So the next day we wake up in the morning and he's like, okay, let's go down by the, by the train ticket for the, for the train that afternoon. Yeah. So as soon as we've walked out again, a crowd has developed around us. We're getting pushed and shoved and people are trying to get to us and he's just grabbing us, pushing. He's literally physically pushing people off us. And we get out to the front of the Turkmen gates and we get in the tuk-tuk. And now the train station, it, it wasn't far away, but it's just a, a little, um, it's just around the corner pretty much. So we get in the tuk-tuk. As soon as we get in the tuk-tuk, I've gone, oh shit, my phone's gone. I realized in that hole. Somebody's grabbed it. Someone had pickpocketed me. Yeah. So straight up, I was like, oh my God, my mate's like, oh, dude, you've got to be so careful, you know, like, of course there's pickpocketers around here, like, and we'll get just getting pushed and shoved and there's people all over us. They were just grabbing at us. Of course someone stole my phone. And, and this was another eye opener going, God, I've got to be so careful here. So I've gone over to old De- Delhi um, railway station and we've lined up in the ticket line to get a ticket and we've got to them and they said, I oh, know we're sold out. We don't have any tickets. And Sarge is like, what do you mean you don't have any tickets? Like, of course you have tickets. And anyway, he's pulled us aside and he said, he said, look, they're scamming you guys. He said, because you're white, they won't sell you a ticket. They reckon you have to go over to this travel agent, which is just across the road, and buy mm-hmm. a ticket. I go, well, what does this mean? He goes, he goes, it just means you pay twice as much. But if you need to get the train, you know, let's just go do it if, if you don't mind, mind paying for it. And I said, by this stage, we just wanted to get 
Get we out just want to get the fuck out of old Delhi. Yeah. So we're like, okay, we don't care. We knew we were getting scammed. So basically, they just said, nah, we know we can charge these guys twice as much. Refused to sell us a ticket. Made us go over to this little travel agent. Yeah. So we've gone over to this little travel agent, which was across the road. And it was this tiny little room. This tiny little room. We've walked in there. And um, Sarge just bought us two tickets. So we've bought two tickets. We've gone back to his place. And we've gone back to his place and got some lunch. And we sat there talking again. And about... Three o'clock came, I think it was time to get on the train. So we're going back to the train station and we go to get on the train with our tickets. And the conductor's like, these are fake tickets. These aren't tickets. Yeah. I'm like, what do you mean these aren't tickets? They're like, these are not real tickets. So suddenly we've just realized we've been scammed. We've bought fake tickets. We've paid twice as much as what um, we're supposed to. Yeah. And they weren't even tickets. So by this stage, Sergeant's pretty angry because, you know, he's taken us under his wing he was supposed to be looking after us so we've gone he's we've gone over to this travel agent which is this tiny little room and i just remember i sat down on this little chair and kelly sat straight across from me and there was just enough to maybe in between us to this is how narrow that this little room was just enough for someone to walk between us so Sarge has come in and he started blowing like yelling at this guy going you know you've scammed us like blah blah they need to get up north Next thing, this is when we realize, and he explained later, that they don't respect him because he's from Kashmir. Yeah. They've all started screaming at him. Other guys have walked in off the street. They're all, they ended up being about, there would have been about 15 people in this little room that was about two and a half meters by one and a half meters wide. And they're all ripping at each other, pulling each other at each other, getting really physically violent. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, don't worry about it. Because now I'm worried that my friend Sergeant, who's just trying to help us out, mm. is getting in trouble, you know, and he's, and he's going to get himself hurt. And plus, I'm worried that we're going to get ourselves hurt. So I'm like, just don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And then I just remember that he had a guy like holding hands to his throat. His shirt was getting ripped. It was getting really physical. And he just pulls this card out of his pocket really angrily and slams it on the desk and goes, if you guys don't um, sort this out, I'm going to call Sanjay um, right now. Now, we later Sanjay. found out that Sanjay, so when I said earlier that Tim married Nisha, my friend Tim, that we we're going to see, married Nisha, she was like a bit of like kind of like a princess kind of thing. Her uncle was the police commissioner for the whole north of India, and his name's Sanjay, I think it's Sanjay Kumar. Yeah. Now, because Sajid is friends with Nisha, he's pulled out this contact and, and threatened to call the police because he's friends with Sanjay. So next thing, everyone's kind of backed off and going, oh, okay, okay, let's sort this out. But the thing is, the train's already gone, so we can't get the train. And we need to make it to, up to um, Derridan for this driver to take us up to Missouri. And the next train wasn't for a couple of days. So, and we just wanted to get out of there. So everything's kind of simmered down at this point, And he said, okay, we'll organize a driver for you, but it's going to cost again twice as much. And we refused to pay again for the tickets. Those those tickets were supposed to go towards the taxi money. And then we had to give the taxi driver a little bit more. And then when we got up to Missouri, this was the deal. When we got got to Derridan, we would give him the other half of the money. Yeah. So next thing, this taxi driver's rocked up and he's in an old... Um, He's in one of those old white ambassadors. I don't know if you know the the taxis that are um, in India, these really old English, like great British kind of cars. Yeah, I've got kind, kind of two bench seats in them. He's rocked up and he said, okay, I'll pick you up at the Turkmen gates um, in an hour's time. What's with these gates? Everyone wants to meet there. Yeah, well, it's, it's a meeting place. It's <laughs> yeah. like, so we go get our stuff and we come down and Sarge is just acting really weird this, this whole hour. 
he's just acting really weird and you can see he's kind of lost in himself and he and we get down to the taxis there and he and he pulls me aside and he says i i don't, I don't have a good feeling about this yeah he goes there's, there's something off and he goes those guys before they're not good people I, I, i've just got a bad feeling and he goes look i want you to make me a promise mm. and i go okay what it is and he goes I want you to make me a promise that once you get in this car, he goes, I want you to go to the toilet now. He goes, once you get in this car, you do not get out of the car until you reach that train station, no matter what, no matter if you're busting, you go to the toilet. And he goes, now, if you have to get out of the car, you never leave Kelly in the car. You, She gets out first and you get out. And he goes, I've got this guy's number and I've written down his number plate. So I'm going to call every hour to make sure you're okay. Now, this kind of took us back a bit because we were thinking by this stage, we're fine, sweet, we're in a taxi. Yep. Bang, but for some reason, Sarge had had this really weird feeling, and he and he, he knew. put yeah he knew something was was up. He knew something wasn't right. He didn't really want to scare us, but he just kind of gave us a few tips that we he just said, "Promise me, you guys do this." So this is kind of taking me back a little bit. So so we've packed our stuff in the car. Now we've made a crucial mistake when we've got into the car. Oh, God, I'm starting to get the shivers already. So, as soon as we got into the car, Kelly sat directly behind the driver and I sat on the other side. Yeah. So, we start driving and I notice straight up because he's, she is directly in his rear view mirror. Right. So, the whole time he's just staring at, he's hardly looking at the road. It's making me nervous. (laughs) He's just staring. And that stare, just with that stare, he's just staring at her the whole time. Doesn't take her eyes off her. He just can't stop staring at her. So, this is making me nervous. And I'm just thinking, well, it's going to be weird if we switch seats now. Just So, I'm just trying to make conversation with him and I'm talking to him and we're going through Old Delhi and every time we rock up at traffic lights, you know, or the little slum kids. Basically, it was Slumdog Millionaire is how you picture it. Yeah. There's little deformed kids running up, knocking on, demanding money. If you... We, at one stage, we started carrying around when we ended up traveling around India. We were carrying around bananas and stuff with us to give to to um, the beggars, but yep. they never wanted it. The kids, they only want money, just like some dog millionaire, because they're out there to make money for for someone else. For someone else, we're starting to get out of the city at this stage, and I'm just trying to make conversation, and I'm talking to this guy, and. I said to him, you know, I started telling him about how India was such a shock, you know, the culture difference and, and um, how we're in Ramadan and we probably shouldn't have been in that area because, you know, being a, um, a different, of a different faith, or well, not that I'm any faith, but that I wasn't Muslim kind of thing that could, just because it wasn't taken well. And he said to me, and I told him that that morning that I got pickpocketed and I lost my phone, and he said to me, he goes, he looks me straight in the eyes through the, through the mirror. And this is the most eeriest thing anyone has ever said to me. Mm. He looks straight in my eyes through the revision mirror and he says, India is a wild place. First, you get your phone stolen. Next thing, you get your girlfriend stolen. And the hairs on the back of my neck just stood up. They just stood up. And I didn't know what to say to it. I just... I just kind of... Is it like a sick feeling in your stomach? It was just a sick feeling. It was just a sick feeling. Now, we had about an eight-hour, eight, nine-hour car ride. How's Kel in all this? Kel, I don't know. She was just kind of sitting there taking it. She was so nervous. Kel was so nervous from the initial... I'm nervous just listening to the story. Well, she was... We were both on our back feet, but I'm the protector. You know, I'm I'm the male in the relationship. I'm... Kel was just sitting there with everything, just nervous. And, and this is the thing, and this is where this story goes. Actually, oh, the thing is, you, you always think, you know, if anyone ever fucks with 
my girl. Mm. You know, they're just going to, it doesn't matter. You think you're just going to lose it and you're always going to win. You know what I mean? This is like how you think. This is what you like to think. You like to think, no worries, I'll protect them. Yeah. So, we're driving along and we've got about an eight-hour drive. And it it was a beautiful drive. It was a crazy experience. It was such a nice drive. But we're driving along and um, we've got about an eight-hour drive to get to this train station where there's another driver waiting for us. Now, we're just going along, small talk. Sarge is calling every hour. Every time he calls, the driver puts us on the phone. Yeah, you know, just ask, is everything going okay? We say, you know, everything's going fine. Yeah. He reminds me. Now, remember, do not get out of the car. Yeah. You do not get out of the car. I was like, yeah, that's fine. You know, and, I, and by this stage, I'm thinking we're in safe zone, you know, like, oh, Sarge is just being overprotective now kind of thing. It's all good. Now, about five hours into the trip of an eight-hour drive, he starts making all these phone calls. The driver just starts making all these phone calls. Now, at first, I didn't think this was odd at all. I just thought, you know, maybe he's calling his wife or whatever. Yeah. And But just his whole demeanor changed. Like, I don't know how to explain it. It's just maybe my intuition was picking up on something. I don't know. Maybe we're already nervous from everything. I don't know. But it's just something didn't feel right. Nothing felt right from when we landed in India. But I just thought it was just because of this culture shock or whatever. But something just felt so wrong. Now, he started making all these phone calls, which kind of put me on edge. Now, he's on the phone for about half an hour to a whole heap of different people. Maybe even longer than that. And... And anyway, we're coming up to another town. He said, oh, hey, this town's coming up where the train station is. Would you mind giving me the rest of the money now? And I said to him, oh, no, we'll we'll do it at the train station. That was the deal. Once we get there, I'll give you the money. And I'm thinking in my head, we're only about five hours into an eight-hour drive. Mm. Eight, nine hour, even ten hour. It was a long drive. I'm thinking, we can't. We're nowhere near there yet. I'm thinking, why does it... you know, so I start second questioning myself. Maybe we got told the wrong time frame. And I was like, no, but it was a 12-hour train ride. Like, this doesn't make sense kind of thing. And so I said to him, no, I'll, I'll, I'll pay you when we get to the train station. He said, no, the train station's really busy. Can you please pay me now? And I said, oh, look, I, I don't really feel comfortable. And he's like, no, like, you need to pay me now. And so he started getting agitated. So I thought, you know, you know best just, just pay him. Yeah. So I, I just give him the money and I thought, you know, end of that. And I'm sitting here thinking... The whole time, and by this stage, it's night time. I'm thinking the whole time, this is um, this just seems odd. We're just not we're not near there. We're not near the destination yet. This is, and anyway, we start coming into this town now. Derridan, I'd been told, was a really big city. It has, I think, three. It has so many million people in it, but I yeah. know it's a really big city. And this town that we drive into is a big town, but it's not a city. It's not this massive town that I was expecting. And I'm thinking, well, this is odd. And he's like. So we start driving through town. I'm start looking for this train station. We go through the center of town. Nothing. We we keep going, and I'm thinking, well, that's odd. I'd think the train station would be closer to the center of town, not on the outskirts. We start leaving the town, and so it's night time at this stage. We start leaving the town. Town town finishes. It ends behind us. I'm thinking, well, there was no train station there. Maybe there's another town. I'm looking out in the distance, and I can't see any lights in the sky of you know any reflection of lights from another town. Yep, yep. I'm thinking, fuck, this is so, this is getting so odd. Are you starting to like make plans in your head, like? Exit plans. No, I'm just starting to get really nervous thinking yeah. just none of this has hit me yet. I'm just just starting to get really nervous of what's happening. It just, it just doesn't make sense. You know, so I haven't put these pieces together yet. And I'm thinking, he just said, 
the train station's coming up, wanted the money. It's not a big enough town that we're supposed to get to. We've just drove through the town. We're now entered a forest, kind of forest kind of thing. So now we're driving through forest and I can't see in the sky any more like lights from a town. And I'm thinking, so I start getting on edge and I'm thinking, well, fuck, this is weird. And there's all tall trees all around both sides of the road. Yeah. And we're driving along. Next thing on the left-hand side of the road, there's a road to the left and it's a dirt road. We're driving along. Next thing, he suddenly does this sharp turn down this dirt road really fast as soon as he turns down the road oh fuck as soon as he turns down the road he slams on the brakes and i've looked straight up and straight up in front of us we've pulled straight up behind a white land cruiser with six dudes in front of us that is parked on the side of that dirt road as soon as he's so he's slammed around the corner really quickly down done this left hand turn slammed on the brakes he's jumped out of the driver's seat I've, this has all happened in slow-mo. He's jumped out of the driver's seat. I've looked up. I've seen this white Land Cruiser with six guys standing around it. And I've just looked and there's no number plate. And I've just slow, looked to the side. This is all going in slow-mo. Just, and I've yeah. looked to the side and he's jumped out of his driver's seat. And he's going for Kel's door. And I've just gone, fuck. Now, there's something that saved me here. When he jumped out of his driver's seat... His door, he shut his door behind him. I don't know if it was just what he's used to doing, but he slammed his door. He jumped straight out really quickly, slammed his door with his other hand behind, and he went straight for Kel's door. And for some reason, I've just, I've just seen no number plate on this white Land Cruiser, and I've just gone, oh, fuck. And I've looked, and he's going for Kel's door, and I've just gone, just jumped over and just hit the fucking lock. And I've literally hit the lock as he's hit the handle, and I've just got it in time. I'm talking about a split fucking second here. Yeah. And this split second saved our, fu- our it, yeah, it just saved our lives. I've just hit the door. Now, as soon as I've done that, he's gone for his front door, and I've jumped through and hit that door. At the same time, the six men run over to this other door next to me, and I've jumped over, and I've fucking locked that, those doors, and I've hit them down, and the men just start punching the window. They start punching the window and trying to open the door, going, get that, you know, like yelling in Hindi at us. Now, they've started punching his car. This is the second thing that saved us. They could have easily broken into that car. Yeah. As soon as they started punching the car, the taxi driver ran around and got in between the six man and his car because this is his prized car. This is his livelihood. That's all he's got, yeah. So they've jumped in like, stop, like stop hitting my car. And then he's turned, he's like, get the fuck out of the car, get out of the car, screaming at us. We're like, we're not getting out of the car. He's like, unlock the car, get out, you have to get in this car. We're like, we're not getting out, we're not getting out. And they all start screaming. These men are screaming at us. Next thing, the worst mistake <laughs> Kelly could have made. Kelly screams at them and says, we paid you to take us somewhere. We're not getting out of the car. Yeah. And he's just lost and going, you think you're so fucking good with a white girl? You think you're so fucking good? I'll kill you. Get the fuck out of the car. I don't know if they were swearing, saying fuck, but this is... <laughs> that was yelling at us. Yeah. To get the hell out of the car. And we realized so what we were in extreme yeah. fucking trouble. We realized straight up. I knew straight up. As soon as I saw that white Land Cruiser with no number plates, it was like a 100 series Land Cruiser with no number plate. It just fucking clicked. Mafia, bang, he's trying to get us out of the car. It just just fucking clicked. Now, I've gone to him. Now, the reason why they didn't break into the car, because this is how it works, right? All he's done is just gone, called the Mafia and said, hey, I've got a white girl in my car. I'll sell it to you. Yeah. So he gets a small fee. 
the mafia are the ones that make the money off it. So now we've locked ourselves in his car by a split fucking second that saved our lives. All they were going to do, this is the thing, was kill me and take her. Yeah. This is the thing. But because his car was such a prized possession to it, he didn't want them to break into his car. So straight up, they're all screaming at us. And I've just started going, how much money do you want? How much money? Take me to an ATM. I have 10,000 US in the bank. Take me to an ATM. I'll give you all the money I have. And they're like, just get out of the car. And I'm like, how much money do you want? I'll give you. I've got $10,000. Yeah. Just just take me to an ATM. So next thing, they've started coming down. I'm like, tell those men to leave. I'll give you $10,000. Whatever they're paying you, whatever they're going to give you, I'll, I'm going to give you $10,000. Just please, please. And he's like, so then next thing, it's kind of started to calm down the situation. He's like, okay. He goes, okay, you give me $10,000? I said, I'll give you $10,000. Just take me to an ATM. I'll give you $10,000. Yep. Just please, we're not getting out of the car. We're not getting in the car with those men. He goes, okay, okay, unlock the door. And I said, no, no, no. I'm not unlocking the door. I'm not doing anything until those men go. And he goes, and he goes, and, he, and they sat there for a second. I said, 10,000 US dollars, please, please, just yeah. take me to an ATM. So he goes and has this conversation with these mafia guys. And they look, they look pretty pissed. <laughs> <laughs> so they've gone, okay. So I've said, I'm not getting, I'm not unlocking the door until that car goes, until it's well gone. And take me to an ATM and I'll give you all the money I have. So meanwhile, Kel's just frozen with fear by this stage. She, she is not moving. She is just frozen with fear. Now, this is the thing that I've never, like what I said before, I always felt if something ever happened to her, I would be able to protect her. Yeah. I've never felt so, I don't know what the word is for it. I've never felt so weak, so incapable. I've never, there was nothing I could do. You were sort it, of useless in that I situation. I was completely useless. If they opened that door, what am I going to do against six, seven men? There was nothing I could do. The only thing that I could have done was lock that door and I got it by a split second. Well, that's that. That's they that were just going to kill me. That's that sort of instinct um, that sort of takes over that survival instinct. But it, was, it was so you weird. You know something bad's going to happen. Exactly. It was so weird that it was just like, it was like I picked up on the signs and if I didn't pick up them, it was like my, my senses were already heightened that things were off. So as soon as he'd done that left turn, it just all made sense. So we've convinced him to take us to an ATM. We've convinced him to tell these other guys to leave. So these guys have left, got in a car and driven off. Now he's like, okay, I open the door now. And I was like, no, I'm not opening the door until I know that car's gone. So we sat there in this awkward silence. He was on the other side of the car for about 15 minutes because I would not unlock the door. Did you ever think of jumping in the front seat and driving off? I did. I did, but the thing is, we didn't know where we were. Fuck. Oh, did Not he? That that or did comes he to no, you. I'm just trying to think. Did he have the keys? Yeah. For some reason, I think he might have had the keys. Yeah. For some reason, I think he might have had the keys, like looking back on it. Because there was it a reason sense. why I was stuck in that car, because otherwise yeah. that would be something. Because I remember thinking, now I'll, I'll go into this in a second. I remember thinking of driving the car to an embassy. Mm so basically i've waited about 15 minutes and then i've gone okay i'm going to unlock the door you're going to take us to an atm and i'm going to give you all the money and then that's fair okay please we're going to pay you more than what they were going to pay you please ten thousand us and let's just call it even 
And he goes, okay. So I unlock the door. As soon as he gets in the car, he just starts screaming at us. You think you're so fucking good? You think you're smart? Blowing up me going, you think you're white male? You have blonde, blonde female? You think you're so good? And, um, and I'm just like, please, please, just please stop screaming. Like, please just take us to an ATM. Please. So he's like, so he starts driving off. Meanwhile, I've got this baton. That I bought in Kuala Lumpur. So I slide it out in between my legs. And I'm sitting here holding it with two hands. Now Kel is frozen with fear. And I'm sitting in the left seat. He's in the front right, the driver's seat. And I'm sitting and I'm looking at him. I'm like, I can get two swift hits because it's a bench seat in the front. I can get a full swing to his head. And I'm thinking, it's going to take two swings or three swings to kill this guy. Hmm. And I've gone, I'm going to kill him. As soon as he pulls over, there's nothing. I just, this is the thing. And this, this is the thing. And this is what annoys, I've told this story to people before. Or people have said like, oh, someone did that to me. I'll just kill him. Yeah, it's no, not no the... you try and go through the emotions of saying that if someone does, as soon as that you're going to kill someone, that you, I've convinced myself in my mind that I'm going to take someone's life. This is the heaviest thing, I think. It's nearly losing my life as one thing and being so, like, not being able to protect Kel. That's, that was so one emotion in itself. But having the realization, I'm going to kill a human being here, that was just something completely different again. And I was just like, I don't care what anyone says. It's just that is a fucking such a hard thing to do. Think about I don't know anyone that's been in that situation before. So I'm sitting here with this baton. Are you in, in the front seat with him now? No, I'm in the back seat. You're in the back seat, yeah. I'm sitting here in the back seat with this baton with my two hands in between my legs. And I've just said to myself, as soon as he pulls over, if he tries to pull over anywhere, you know, and not play the game, like if he's tried to set it or do anything, if he pulls up anywhere, I'm going to kill him. I'm just going to kill him. We're going to have to dump... This is the thing too, what I was so scared about because I read Shantaram before and about how if a white person gets into a fight with um, an Indian, the, all the Indians would just rip him apart. Mm. So I'm sitting here going through my head going like, fuck, I'm going to have to kill him. What if people see? Am I going to dump the body? Do I leave the body in the car? Do I push it to the side? All I know is that I've got to start driving and try to get to, uh, back to Delhi and try to get to an Australian embassy or an English embassy or an American embassy, just any embassy. And then from there, I'm like, maybe I can call my uncle who's in Indonesia who has lawyers and he has a bit of money behind him. Like someone's got to help me. It's like, I just need to get to Delhi and get out of the country. Like get out of the country before they found out I've killed someone. Yeah. Get out of the, you know? So I'm just sitting here. I'm like, okay, so I've convinced myself. As soon as he pulls over, just kill him. Now he's driving to the next town. Now what was lucky for me is that the towns coming up were all, quite a few distance apart they're like 45 minutes apart yeah so the first town we've driven up to which is about half an hour 40 minute drive we've gotten to the next town because i've said to him just just keep driving just keep driving take me to an atm give you the ten thousand dollars so he's gone to the next town he didn't go back he could have gone back but i said to him please just go forward because i'm going to give you the ten thousand dollars and then we're going to go like i'm going to get another and we're going to go because we had to keep going in that direction so we've got to this town and he's pulled up at this ATM. And I'm sitting here and I look at it and I'm thinking, fuck, what do I do? What do I do here? And I look at it and I go, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. 
this ATM, it doesn't take my card. I'm so sorry. I had this problem in Delhi. This, it won't take my card. I'm so sorry. Please, please don't be angry. Take me to another ATM. And he goes, this town, this is the only ATM. Mm. I said, well, please, next town, does it have an ATM? He goes, next town has an ATM. I said, please, just, I, I promise you, I'll give you $10,000. Take me to the next town. So he starts driving. Meanwhile, his phone rings. Sergeant, our friend in old Delhi is called to check on us. And he refuses to put us on the phone. So he's gone, you know, like, Sergeant, obviously, in Delhi has picked up on something weird's going on. He's just called to talk to us. He's, he's been doing it the whole five hours before. Yeah. Suddenly, this guy won't put, it, put us on the phone. He's gone, well, this is weird. So he, he calls Nisha and Tim, who are up in Missouri, and says, hey, I think something, something odd's going on. Something's weird. It's, the guy won't put, it, put your friends on the phone. So he's given the taxi driver's number to Nisha. So next thing, Nisha's called the taxi driver and so he's answered oh that was this foreign number and she's gone where's my friends put my friends on the phone and he's gone oh no you know said oh they're fine and she's demanded no you put my friends on the phone now Mm. so then he's reaching going oh it's it's some girl for you so i just remember taking the phone and he's just staring at me he's staring at me with just this death stare through that can he speak english really well he can speak english really well yeah so I try to switch to Australian slang, and she's like, "Are you guys okay?" And I was like, "Yeah, no, nah, it's uh, pretty um fucking pretty heavy going on in this car in that day." Eh? Like I'm, I'm trying, to, yeah, like I'm like trying to like do this Aussie slang thing to try and get the point across. Like, fuck, we need help. We're in trouble, right? Yeah, so like she, using slang so, terms. Yeah, to try and, and make so out. she's like, "Are you okay? are you guys okay?" And I was like, "Yeah, no, nah, fucking, like, you know, like." You know, and she, I've given, I've put across the point across somehow, like through this Aussie slang that there's something odd going on, something odd. So we've gotten off the phone to her, and she's called her uncle and yeah. gone, "Hey, something's going on with my friends here." Blah blah. We've got this taxi driver's number. Um, we don't know what to do. So meanwhile, there's this whole process, other process going on behind that we're unaware of. Right now, we're just in this car, just just freaking out. So yeah. we get to the next town. Again, pull up to the ATM. And I've gone, done the same thing again. I'm so sorry. This ATM, it's, it's, a, it's the same brand as the last one. We can't, my card can't use it here. You're I'm just so lucky. Him, I'm fucking with him. I don't have $10,000. I don't yeah. have any money. Yeah. But I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, what I'm trying to do is just stall. I'm just trying to stall, come up with something. I'm trying to push it to the next town. I'm trying to fucking get to the, the railway station. I don't, I don't know. I don't have a plan other than just try and get closer to safe safety and safety was where my friends are. Now, I don't have any money to give this guy. I can't afford him to lose it at me. I don't want to kill the guy. That would just complicate things. Of course things. not, yeah. But I've, I've accepted that I'm going to. So, I've done the same thing again. Please, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, this ATM. But I promise you, I promise you, 10,000 US, take me to the... What's the next town? What's the next, is it a bigger town? Take me to the ATM. And he goes, the next town's um, Derridan. With the, and I said, well, how far away is it? Another 40-minute 40, 40 drive. I said, please, take me to Derridan. Take me to the ATMs. He goes, this big city, it will have your ATM. So please, I'm so sorry, but please take me to that ATM. He goes, okay, so we keep driving. Again, my friends have tried to call. By this stage, he knows the number, so he's just hung up on it. Yes. So my friends are getting more more heightened and alert, alerted. That something's wrong. So another 45 minutes. This is, this is the longest. This last two and a half hours of this car ride. Are you talking longest, to each no, other? No. Kel, Kel hasn't moved. Kel yeah. is sitting there frozen. 
She is frozen with so she's fear. She's in a bit of shock. Yeah. She is completely in shock. And I'm sitting there, not moving, just with this baton in between my legs, just waiting for him to do something. I'm just sitting here. This is what I mean. It was so long because I'm sitting here, just sitting there, frozen with fear as well, just thinking as soon as he does anything odd, I've got to kill this guy. Yeah. So we get to Derridan. And he pulls up to this, in the middle of the city, to a whole heap of ATMs. All different ones. He goes, here you go. Now, here's ATM. You can get I'm the money. Pl- I'm just picturing this like this like strip of just ATMs. For, like, Man, for there was about ATMs. six ATMs there and I've gone, off. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, what do I do now? And Did you like try, like, yeah, sorry, keep going. You, you've well, pulled up. We've pulled up at these ATMs and he's gone, here you go. And I've said to him, I'm so sorry. Please don't be angry. I've been lying to you. So you told I have, him No, I said, line. I have all the money in the trunk in my bag. I have $10,000 in my trunk, in the trunk, in my bag. I'm so sorry. I just wanted you to get us to this town. I'm so sorry. I don't, my car doesn't work. I just, all the money's in my bag, in the boot. And he's believed me. <laughs> <laughs> and I've just gone, please, just take us to this train station. When we get there, I'll get the money out of the boot for you. Train stations, we're in the town now. We're in the town. So we start driving. He's agreed. So he starts driving us to the train station. I've whispered to, to Kel, okay, no matter what happens, as soon as we pull up, because I'm thinking of what's, what Sarge had said to me. I never get out of the car mm. without Kel getting out first. Got to make sure she gets out first. Now I've said to Kel, I'll go, don't worry about us things. In the, don't worry about our gear. You just get out and you just fucking run. I said, don't, whatever happens, I'll be behind you. You just run. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking in my head and I'm praying. I'm thinking in my head, please, like we get to this train station. I'm thinking, Kelly, just get and run into the train station and find a policeman. I just said, just run. I'll be behind you. I don't know what was going to happen. All I knew that I was just going to stop anyone trying to touch Kel. Yeah. Or try to. So we, um, fuck, this is hard, man, because it brings up so much emotion. It's so yeah. scary. But. So um, we start coming up to the train station. And so Kel knows to get out and run straight away. And I'm just praying, please don't be crooked cops. Please don't have police in the train station that are in on it. Yeah, Please, like just please. So we pull into this car park. As soon as we have the train station, as soon as we pull into this car park, I still, this is all this, this is all ingrained in my memory. It is like, it was like yesterday. I just remember as soon as we pull it in, it was really slow because all these cars, we had to get a car park. And as soon as we start pulling in, we're kind of like at a stop because there was a car in front of us parking. This guy comes over to the window and goes, ah, oh, like and starts knocking. It's the driver that was there to meet us. He's seen these two white people in a car pull in and he's just come over. So our driver's parked, and as soon as he's parked and this other guy's there, he's just changed his tone. Next thing, he's our best friend. He gets out of the car. We're sitting there frozen. He gets out, opens the door for Kel. Kel jumps out of the car, gets out, and she's standing there. He comes over. As soon as she gets out, she hides behind this other driver, like stands behind him. He comes over, opens up my door for me, because I'm sitting waiting in the car because I'm waiting to see what Kel does. Is she going to run or blah, blah? You know what I mean? Mm. Like I'm making sure she's out of the car he comes over and opens up my door for me i'm i forget about the baton that's in between my legs and i stand up out of the car and the baton falls down and hits the ground in between the two of us yeah and i just remember 
I looked up at him and he looked me in the eyes and it was one of those things nothing had to be said he knew exactly what was gonna what would have happened if he fucked up he it was just so weird it's just like I looked him in the eyes when he saw that baton he looked down at the baton and then looked up and looked me in the eyes and it was like yeah I was gonna kill you you know what I mean so for like the lie you just realized for the last two hours you probably had his number well I don't know. It's just we just he we just both knew what was what was going on. Yeah. So we've come over, and the other guy, the other drivers, opened up the boot and took our bags out. I'm sitting here, and then our driver's sitting there, and I've gone, and I'm shaking because I had no money on me. I had about twenty five dollars Aussie left on me, and I just remember I pulled out my wallet, and I'm shaking, and I'm just there going. I'm please, please, I'm so sorry. I lied to you the whole time. This is all the money I have. Please, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I'm shaking. I just remember my hands are uncontrollably shaking. And I've opened up my wallet and I've pulled the money out. And he's gone, oh, tip, thank you very much. Put his hands in the prayer position and started like bowing to me going, oh, thank you so much for tip. Oh, and I'm just like, you fucking motherfucker. You know what I mean? And we've gone and got into this other car. As soon as we got into the other car with this other driver, Kel and I just looked at each other and we just fucking broke down. I just, we just fucking just literally, I broke down in tears because I'd never, I realized I couldn't help her. There was nothing if they got hold of her, there was nothing I could do. And so, I just, I couldn't protect her. And we just broke down in tears because the last three hours was so fucking traumatic. And this guy just walked, went back to his car and drove off. Went back to his car and drove off. So, this driver said to us, Nisha's waiting to hear from you guys. So, we've called on the driver's phone to Nisha, who's waiting for us up at their place, and we've said what's happened. She said, okay, I'll, tell my, I'll let my auntie know. We, Sergeant has his license plate, so we'll give that, and you guys just come up here and just get here safe. So, by this stage, we come up, and we get, get up to their place at about 3 in the morning. Just out of curiosity, did you pick your baton up? Would you leave it on the ground? No, I picked it up. <laughs> I fucking travelled everywhere with that thing yeah. after this. I, I was thing was this left us. This was as soon as this happened when we first got to India. So we were in India for six weeks. So that whole time after this, we were just shit scared about everything. So basically, we've gotten this driver. We've broken down in tears, and we've driven up the Himalayas, about a two-hour drive up to Missouri to our friend's house. And we've got there and Nisha's and Tim are up waiting for us. It's about 2 or 3 a.m. at this stage. And we're there, we get there and we tell them what happened. They said, okay, my auntie is waiting for your phone call. So I call the auntie and I said, and she goes, which is the, the uncle Sanjay, the police commissioner's wife. And she, yeah. So I talked to this auntie and I said, um, and she goes, look, we know what's happened you can explain it to us tomorrow. We just want you to get some rest. We just want to know that you're safe. I said, yeah, yeah, we've made it safe. She goes, you get some rest. So we've gone to sleep. And because we had so much adrenaline go through us from this, from this whole ordeal, we slept for something like 16 hours or, some, or 14 hours. We woke, we woke up at 6 the next night. Yeah. That's because when your body goes through so much adrenaline like that, it just takes so much energy out it's of like you. It's like a stress. It was just so – yeah, this is a highly – yeah. This is the most stressful situation I've ever been in my life. And so we've woken up the next afternoon. I've, I've walked down, or late the next afternoon, I've walked down downstairs. And Nisha says says to me, my, my auntie's waiting to talk to you, you know, like um, give her a call. 
So we've called the Arnie, and the Arnie said, look, we sent police around to his village. We found where he lives by his number plate, and we've arrested him, and we beat him in front of his family to, um, to degrade him kind of thing, you know, to shame him in front of his family for what he's done. We yeah. beat him in front of his family. Now we've arrested him. He's in jail, and we're beating him every hour. What would you like us to do with him? Oh, shit. And I've gone, look, I, I don't know. I, I said to her, look, I don't know what you guys do. This is, this is not about me. It's like this is, I just want to forget about this and like go on with my life pretty much. Like I said, I, we just want to forget about it and forget it ever happened. You guys do whatever you do in your culture because it's not, it's not up to me. And she goes, okay. So meanwhile, we, we spent a couple of weeks by this stage. We ended up spending a couple of weeks and we're trying to forget about it. But everything we do... We're just we're just on our back foot. We're so scared. We're just um, and now Nisha and Tim had organised. They were, Tim was going to take a couple of weeks off work. And we organised to do this trip, doing the Golden Triangle kind of thing of tourism, like where you go down to Agra, you go to the Taj Mahal, you go out to Jaipur, you go out to Rajasthan, and they had organised for us to um, to do it with them and stay with friends, do it the whole local way, um, which is a really cool experience. But the thing was, doing it the local way, I kind of wish we spent a bit of money and did it the tourist way because yeah. by this stage I was so fucking scared so getting on local bus everyone was I it kind of like a bit of PTSD or just completely completely I was we were so shit scared of everything of everything like I remember we stayed um at this in this kind of like hostel thing which was just one big open room with just little mattresses on the floor and it was really dirty and everything but it was just a room with like 60 or 80 Indians could sleep there and we would just yeah. we would go um I think it was out at Rajasthan and we just stayed in there so it was like you know I kind of wish we went and got a hotel I kind of wish we um we, we stayed at this place it probably cost 50 cents and any local could stay there you just pay your money and get a mattress on the floor yeah and there's a joint bathroom and some buckets of water that you can shower with and and that's how I normally travel but because of what happened here it was like we're so still exposed for this to be able to happen again or something it was just like i was just, we're just so scared and we had we did have an amazing trip um oh but we were just so scared so just to add a little bit of <laughs> sort of spookiness yeah spookiness to that out. story the lights are now where we are just turned out oh there they go <laughs> oh damn it so they're, they're sensor related. So because you and me are like, we're, oh right edge. now we're telling this story, and, and I'm shaking. I and like that was intense. I haven't moved for like at least ten minutes because you've been telling that story, and the sensor lights just went out. <laughs> yeah. So we've um we've organised. Nisha and Tim wanted to stay in the city, but we were too scared to stay in the city because that's that's where the whole ordeal started. So we said, you guys stay, and like we'll we'll go back up to up to Missouri and just wait for you guys there. And they wanted to do a little, you know, like a little, it was their holiday as well. So they wanted to have a couple of days private to themselves in a nice hotel. And yeah. we didn't have the money to do it at the time. And we're just like, you guys do your thing. So, but the thing was, oh fuck, I just missed out on a really good part of this story. Yeah. When yeah. we started to do, when we organized to do the Golden Triangle, to do Rajasthan and Jaipur and Agra and go out to the Ganges and do all that, we organized to, get the train to go see Sanjay the uncle yeah and and thank you for what he's done and and just to meet him as well because it was a crazy guy to meet because it was the police commissioner of all of India we've got our driver to take us down to his place which is a couple of hours away from the from Missouri and he lives in this massive barracks like a massive army barracks you could, that right in the middle is this massive field with this beautiful nice house 
and around it is like literally you drive in through army barrack gates and you come into this nice field and there's army guys doing drills over in the corner but it's police people you know doing drills over there and there's army or police barracks over there and everything and in in the middle is this nice beautiful house Mm. and it's Nisha's uncle's place Sanjay so we, we, we go in there and the butler comes over and gets our door for us and everything and our driver drives off and we spend the afternoon and the, the whole plan was to get the train down from his place down to um, Delhi um, and go, to the, go down to Agra actually and go to the Taj Mahal and then start the trip from there from Taj Mahal then go out to Rajasthan and Jaipur and everything. Yep. And so I just remember the train was at five in the afternoon and we got to his place at about midday or whatever and we had lunch and we had tea and we had afternoon tea and shared stories and he, he was an amazing, kind-hearted human being, this guy, and he was just, he had so much power. He's a police commissioner of the whole north of India. There was butlers waiting on us. It was just insane. Yeah. And he was so sorry that we had this experience. Yeah, definitely. He was so apologetic that we had this experience in his country and he said, I want to make you guys feel safe in this country. He goes, you can say my name to anyone you ever want and I'll have your protection. And he goes, when you do this trip down to the, um, do the Golden Triangle and everything, he goes, when you get back to Delhi, you let me know and I'll organize a driver to take you back to Missouri so this doesn't happen to you again. Do you feel the same thing though? Like when when foreigners come to Australia and they have like a really bad experience? Oh, I feel so... You, you do. You apologize to them. You're like, I'm so sorry. You've yeah, because that doesn't represent the whole of us. Yeah, and yeah. it doesn't happen here. Like, yeah. yeah. This has happened to me a few times, actually, where people have really bad experiences here, especially like in Melbourne or S- Sydney or something, you know, in the cities where it's a bit more diverse and they, yeah, and they experience, um, yeah, they just, they experience racism or something. And I, yeah. yeah, it's just, it's so sad because it's something that I never, I would never think of, you know? Yeah, I would, I would hate for someone to feel like that. You don't think that that, or I don't really hang around anyone who's who's racist to people all the time. I don't have those people in my life. Yeah. So yeah, if someone experiences that when they come to the country, you're like fuck, like that's yeah. not who we are. Yeah, exactly. Like it's and it only takes one bad person to ruin. Yeah, it ruin does. Forever. Well, just like us, just it like took you. one one bad guy. Yeah. To ruin this whole experience for us and give us such a traumatic experience. So we're at Sanjay's house, and it gets about four in the afternoon. And it's about a 45-minute drive to the train station. It's yeah. at 5 o'clock. The train's at 5 o'clock. And I said to him, thanks so much for having us, Sanjay. You know, we, we best be off and, um, and go to the train. And he goes, no, no, you guys just relax. It's okay. You know, just have a cup of tea and we're having biscuits and, and sharing stories and everything. It's like, it's like, it's okay, don't worry. About 15 minutes later, I'm looking at the time going, shit, we have to leave right now to catch the train. Mm. So I said to him, oh, Sanjay, we best be leaving. He's like, yeah, no, don't, don't worry. The, train's, the train won't leave without you. So we keep talking. About 4.30 comes along. I've got extreme anxiety by this point. I'm like, how are we supposed to do a 45-minute drive in half an hour? I'm like, Sanjay, we, we best be going. He goes, okay, I'll organize the cars to come around, but don't worry, the train will be right. I'm sitting there going, oh, fuck. So I've got this going, oh, my God, we're going to miss, miss the train. About 15 minutes to five. By this stage, I'm like, well, we've missed the train. I'll just figure it out when we get to the train station because <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to you know, put burdens on him. About six Land Cruisers rock up out the front of his house. We walk out, there's police in all of them. They're not and all it, white ones, are they? All white ones, <laughs> they are, but police with sirens on them and yeah. everything. And he goes, the fourth car is for you. So we're like, okay. So Nisha, Tim, Kelly and I go get in the fourth car. So now we're in this convoy and we've said our goodbyes and says, thank you so much for having us. And he goes, don't worry, you say my name, we'll protect you. The cars take off. 
they take off screaming down the road on the wrong side of the road in going with the sirens on going straight into head-on traffic just <laughs> making everything move out of the way on the way to this train station yeah and we're sitting there i'm just holding on for dear life this was such a crazy experience we we're in this convoy of police cars the sirens on and and anyway he had called the train station and told them to wait for Sanjay's <laughs> guest tell that train to not leave so we've arrived in this train station but we haven't just arrived in the train station in the car park out the front the convoy of cars have driven up into the train station up onto the platform where there's about 30 police waiting for us to greet us the doors get open for us the bags get pulled out of the car for us we get taken out there's a conductor in front of this train waiting for us there's a train an in- train in India with like 5,000 people you know with people sitting on the roof and everything just one of these, and they've all been sitting there for an hour waiting for us the conductor comes out and shakes our hand he's like oh guests of Sanjay you know like um, don't worry you're sa- safe with us I'll, I'll put you on the best card and blah blah they had seats waiting for us the only four seats left on the whole train yeah. so we've got walked into this train we get put in these seats and everything and we get um, two policemen sit on the train with us um, to make sure we're okay for the whole train ride. So we've gone to Agra and got an offer at Agra and we've ended up doing our Golden Triangle. And this is where we went out to um, Jaipur and Rajasthan, which is the Ganges, and went rafting down the Ganges rivers and did all this cool stuff and everything. And But shit scared the whole time. I was just, we just could not relax. Now we've come back to Delhi and like I was saying before, Nisha and Tim wanted to do their thing. So we've called... We've called um, Sanjay and said, oh, we're ready to go back. We just wanted to know if we could take you up on that offer. And he goes, no, please do I have a driver waiting for you. I was, I was expecting your phone call. And he goes, I'll send him around to pick you up. So the next thing, a four-wheel drive again, Land Cruiser, policeman comes around and picks us up and drives us 12 hours back up to Missouri. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> now, the thing um, was... What was uh, the 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 gentleman that was in Old Delhi at the start of the story? Sergeant. How was he after all of that? He was so. We did speak to him. He was so apologetic. He felt. I'll get to that actually. Okay. I'll get to that. So, we've gone back up to the Himalayas where he's dropped us off. Now at this stage we've got about another two weeks left in in India. And we were shit scared. We're too scared to do anything. And. People have said to me, why didn't you just leave? And I thought about that and we looked. We actually tried everything possible to bring our ticket forward. And for some reason, it was just so expensive. And yeah. I, didn't have any, I didn't have any money. Now, we could have borrowed money, but at the same time, it was like we didn't want to let it, let it beat us. So we're in two frames of mind about it. It was like we're too scared to be there and we just wanted to leave. But at the same time, we came to have this experience we wanted to have. And then at the same time, I didn't have the money to leave. And I was like, should we borrow money and, and just get out of here? It was like constantly in these two, two frame of minds. It's funny that you say that because I feel like in so many bad situations that happen to people while traveling, they're not ready to leave until their, their sort of travel is done. Exactly. Do you know until their experience is over? And it's just part of their experience. It's, it's not, it doesn't shape their experience. It's just... Yeah, this is just part, part of the of experience we're having. It was such a traumatic one. So, meanwhile, so Nisha and Tim come back after a couple of days. And he goes back to work. And we're up, Nisha, Kelly and I. And um, they were looking after an orphan from Nepal at the time. This beautiful little girl. And we're all sitting up to this tea hut up in the village, up in Missouri. And our driver walks in. 
It says, Aaron, there's um, someone here to see you. I was thinking, you know, what would take him back? Like, what do you mean there's someone here to see us? He goes, you need, you need to come out into the square. Now, the coffee shop that we were at was right in the center of town, right up on the, on the hill, and there was this big square, like a, a big, you know, center square of the town right out the front of this coffee shop is where the square was. And we've gotten up, Cal and I have gotten up and looked out the front window of the coffee shop into the square, and we've seen the driver that originally set us up in the first place. And yeah. Kel just starts Freaking screaming out. and crying and she runs away and runs around the corner like, what is he doing? Like, And she's just frozen with fear because for her, this is the face for the both of us. This is the face of the devil. This is the face of the guy that tried to sell her as a sex slave and tried to kill me. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm like, I've just gone to our driver. Tell him to go away. We don't want to see him. What's he doing here? Like, tell him to go. And he goes, no, you need to go out. You need to, you need to see him. And I was like, no, I don't want to see him. She's like, and he's like, Aaron, you need... You need to go out. You you got to sort this out. He's come is, all is the way Tim from and Nisha his village. With you as well, Nisha's with us, not Tim. Yeah. And Nisha said, "This culture. He's come all the way here. She doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. But she said, "You need to go out and talk to him." So fuck. So I've walked out the front. As soon as I've walked out the front, he's dropped onto his hands and knees, onto the ground, and starts begging and crying and starts crawling over to me. And trying to touch my feet. Now, this has gathered a crowd of people in the square or watching this. I'm sitting here. There's this guy trying to touch my feet. I'm like, what are you doing? Get away from me. I'm like, get the, get up. Stand up. What are you doing? Like, And the driver goes, no, no, no. Like, let him. He needs to touch your feet. I'm like, I don't want him to touch me. I don't want him anywhere near me. What's he doing? Yeah. And he goes, you don't understand. And um, he's there going, please, please. Like, let me touch your feet. I have all my money for you. All my money. And the driver goes... Aaron, you've got to understand this is an Indian culture thing. He said he's been shamed in front of his family. His taxi's been taken off him, his only livelihood. He um, gets beat every hour. He's, all his family have put money in to send you an offering to give all the money that they have so you can forgive him. And if you forgive him, then the cops will let him go back to his life. Well, he's trying to... T- I, don't, I don't want him to touch me. She said, he said, this is the highest respect... He can give you. Let him do it. So I've gone okay. So he's come up and he's touched my feet. And then he's got on his knees and started begging to me and crying. I'm looking down at this crying, this man at this stage crying, going, please, please, I have all this money for you. And I'm like, I don't want your money. I don't want to see you. Like, I just want you to go. And he goes, please, please, they're beating me. They're taking my taxi. And I'm like, I'm like, at, at, at first I was like, so you deserve, you know? Yeah. But sitting there looking into his eye, I wasn't thinking about him. I was thinking about his family. Yeah. Like, this is his family's livelihood and everything. And like, yeah, he made a mistake and he deserved to be punished. And I've said to him, I don't want your money. He goes, well, what do you want? What do you want? My taxi, my taxi's my livelihood. It's how my family eat and everything. I said, I'll talk to Sanjay. You can have your taxi back. He goes, but what, what do you want? What do you want? I have to give you something. I said, you can never... Try set someone up again because I said next time I'll make sure they kill you. <laughs> and he got up crying and started hugging me. And I didn't want him to touch me. And that I had this other driver in my ear just going, just and I just told him, just go. I never want to see you again. I never want to know anything about you. You just go. I'll, I'll make sure it's okay as long as you've learnt your lesson. Yeah. I don't know if to you this seems... 
too like not harsh enough. I don't know. They had been beating him. He was in jail for five weeks at this stage. Yeah. They had shamed him in front of his family. They had really, they had punished him. At the end of the day, it was a guy that had saw an opportunity to try and make a little bit of extra money for his family and he's taken it. He's made a mistake. He didn't realize because he wasn't the one that was going to rape, rape Kel. He wasn't the one that was going to drug her. He wasn't the one that was going to kill me. You know what I mean? He was just a middleman. He was just a middleman and that's why when they started hitting his taxi that he stopped him. You know, he wasn't going to make much money of it. It was just just a little middleman. Now, I'm not I'm not justifying anything he did, but at, at the time I was like, okay, he's he's learned he's I don't know if he's learned his le- but he's just he's suffered enough. I'm willing to let it go. So he's gone and I've made the phone call to um Pretty much, I had to say that I forgave him. Yeah. That I forgive him. That's pretty much what they, what Nisha's auntie and uncle, Sanjay, and I, I forget the wife's name. She was such a lovely lady. What they needed to hear was just that I forgive this guy. And so they gave him his taxi back. And um, they said to me that they did say to me, actually, if he ever does anything wrong like this again or anything again, that they're going to kill him. So it was like, yeah, it was just, I, mean, I just remember, I just remember getting on that plane and leaving India and just as soon as I was on that plane, it was just like, thank God we're getting out of here. Like I was just, and it wasn't like a, anything to do with India. It was just, I felt safe. Once I was leaving, it was just, was so scared. Once I got back to Indonesia, we're just like, oh my you God. You were comfortable again. Yeah. And it took me, I was traumatized for years from that. I never wanted to go back to India. I ended up going back this year. So this happened in 2009. Now I went back in 2018. Yeah. So, and I went to the South. I don't know. I still don't know if I could go to the North again, but I definitely wouldn't go with a blonde girl again. And when I went to the South, I went to meditate and I was just in and out. I went to an ashram and did a silent meditation, which I'll talk about on the next podcast of how I had to build up that courage and what actually happened to me when I was in the South of India because that was a crazy experience in itself. But it's like, this this taught me so much. This, The biggest thing it taught, taught me was how you just think you're invincible, how you think you can just protect someone you're with and then when it comes down to it you just complete you can be completely you know there's nothing you can do it's incredible that the the split second decisions that if you didn't make them that's run where you would have been it's run through my head so many times run through my head so many times of what they would have done would they just beat me and left me there were they going to kill me this is the thing when we talk to Sergeant about it later. So when we did come back to Old Delhi, we stayed at his place for a night and then he took us to, to the um, airport the next day. And that's when he was like, I'm so sorry this happened to you. Like he felt so bad because he had set it up and he knew that something was wrong and he was just so apologetic and he was so kind to us and so caring. And, and he knew from the very beginning that there's something wrong with that yeah. car. And he was just, he, he's an amazing, he's someone, I have a friend for, for life. I still talk to him. I still like give him messages and I have him on Instagram now and, and Facebook and I have a friend for life out of that guy because, yeah, he helped us. Yeah. I don't know. Like it's like it wasn't his fault at all. It was nothing to do with his fault. He did everything he can to help these guys that he had never met before. Yeah, it was just 
Fuck. Yeah. See, this is what I mean. Like, um, my yeah, body's shaking I, I, right I, now. When I, I, I when I talk about this, it's like those emotions come out. That emotion when I talk about that I was going to kill someone is just I can't explain that to anyone. How much emotion comes up through that? Like, I I don't have a lot of words to say because it's pretty. It's a pretty intense story just to take in. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And hearing you say, oh, I was thinking I was going to kill someone. Like that's, that's pretty intense to hear considering that you don't usually talk like that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Those, those situations don't usually come up. No, I'm hugging people. Because <laughs> mm. yeah. you're not, a, you're not a, a bad person at all. You don't, you never attack anyone, you know, on purpose. I don't think you attack anyone at all. No, I'm, I'm a very and, kind-hearted person. Yeah, <laughs> so it's it's hard to hear those things come out of your mouth. Yeah. So basically, so this this right here, this is Diaries of the Wild Ones. And so basically this podcast, even though that's one of my stories, I traveled for, um, I've been traveling for 12, 13 years and I have many, <laughs> there's many stories and traumatizing ones. This this was the biggest. This is the one that left a scar, you know? Yeah. There's some definitely some crazy ones. We had so many crazy experiences, but, it, but this it, is the one that left a scar. Yeah. It hasn't changed you at all. Like, I'm amazed you didn't tell me that story when you came back, to be honest. I know you said... I, I do have memories of something was... Of you telling me something about it and it was, like, hard. Yeah. But, um... I think but, yeah. that's what I was saying. It's hard for me to tell this story because it... Reminds me so much of these emotions. And now when I first started this podcast, like when I first started, now we've recorded a few already, but this is the first one that's going to launch. Now, this is what I found hardest when these people that I know that have all these crazy stories like getting kidnapped, my friend um, being locked up in Russia and escaping and everything, and my friend about, oh, actually, I won't go into detail because it's ruining it. But the thing is what I realized is that it's really hard for people to tell the stories that I want them to tell because it brings up so much emotion. That is what I want about this podcast. They're not all going to be like on the edge of the sea. I do want funny ones too. And I want ones, I want ones showing how people have this raw adventure and how they push themselves and show this adventure side, this side that I have and what I chase so much in my life and, and um, how much I love getting out of my comfort zone and like, and just having that raw adventure. It's just a good thing that, that didn't stop you from traveling like that like a story like that if that happened to some people they'll they'll never leave Austra- yeah. they'll never leave the city they'll never leave brisbane again well do you know what i mean i didn't want to go back to india again ever i swore you i'd did. never go back i did, did go back because That's it was something bit. that i had to it's something that i heard all that that i had to jump through but that would ruin travel in, into any country do yeah you know what i mean and it's good because i know for for somebody like kel who wasn't much of a traveler before you guys started traveling together and she grew more and more because she obviously now spends a lot of time traveling. Yeah. Well, now she works on super yachts and yeah. travels around a lot. Do you know it, what I mean? It didn't, it, it didn't ruin her either and that's yeah. the best. Well, bit. Kel, she was, too, she was really scared for a while and she put her foot down. Course, and she said, okay, yeah. now when we travel, we don't go anywhere I don't want to go because she didn't want to go to India originally. Yeah. And I remember that we are going to China from Japan on another trip. Well, I'm um, going to China and then to the States. And she goes, I don't want to go to China. I said, but we're going to fly through. They were stopping there anyway. Let's, let's go check it out, you know, because one of my things, I really want to go to Eastern China, really want to go to Mongolia. And she said, no. She yeah. just said, no. I said, no to India. We're saying no to this. And I just said, fair enough. That's yeah. fair enough. It's just <laughs> like, yeah. I, I often wonder what 
now because I'm still great friends with her, but I often wonder, it's not a story that I want to bring up with her because it brings up so much emotion, but I do often wonder how that her memories go with that, like how what that brings up for her. Yeah. Maybe that's a... Maybe that's a podcast one day. Maybe that is a podcast. Bring it back. Yeah. So I think um, I think that's a wrap. So that's my India story. Yeah. And this is Diaries thanks, of the Wild Ones. Thanks for uh, sharing that, man. Yeah. That was intense. So pretty much this is what this podcast is about. And this is what I want to show. And just sitting down. And this is this is fun. I'm sitting here. I'm still shaking from it. So it's like normally podcasts will come out a bit bouncing. But because it was my story, I'm a little bit shaky. You're shaking now. I can. I'm looking at you. You're all. You can tell you're a bit wound up. I can see that there's definitely emotion there. Yeah. That's attached to that story. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Diaries of the Wild Ones, hosted by Aaron Shanks. Stay in. <laughs> Keep tuning in for for more to come. No. Oh right, man. I'll. Uh, thanks for bringing me on. Yeah. Thanks for being here, Matt. Thanks for listening. Like a double.